Let's turn for our Bible reading to the letter of James. James 3, and we're reading from the first verse. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. The wisdom that comes down from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. One of the marks of a good interviewer, a good journalist, uh, is asking the right question and not accepting any kind of waffle. You can think of a Paxman or someone like that asking the same question. And the same question and the same question over and over and over. Of course, a really good politician manages to last them out uh, and not answer the question. But it is a great skill to have. And it's a skill, of course, that's used in many areas of life. And a good preacher will ask pertinent questions, make people think make them contemplate important uh, issues. And James does that. He does it often. He does it here in verse 13 of the third chapter of his letter. Who is wise and understanding among you? Of course, our first inclination might well be to say, 
me. Wise and understanding, yep, that's me, I fit the bill. And yet, of course, it's a question that challenges, that causes us to think. Most of us would like uh, to think that we fit into that category. We want to be thought wise. Nobody wants to be thought uh, foolish unless they're professional comedians. And even then, they want to be thought to be wise under the humor. They want to be thought wise. And James is showing us that not everything that passes for wisdom in the world is actually wisdom from a Christian point of view. What the world thinks is wisdom. The people the world thinks are wise and understanding actually may look very, very different from God's perspective. And so they should look very different from our perspective. We want to see as God sees. And he's explaining in this uh, last section of chapter 3 that there are two basic kinds of wisdom, totally different in their sources, their characteristics, and the results. We're looking at verses uh, 13 to 18, two kinds of wisdom. Uh, And we need perhaps to emphasize right at the beginning uh, that wisdom in Bible language, in biblical thought, isn't simply a matter of intellectual attainment or a matter of education. You might have a string of degrees and yet not be wise in God's estimation. That's something we need uh, to be very clear uh, about. There are great intellects in the world, those who perhaps appear much on the media. And the world takes them for wise men or women. And yet in God's eyes, they may be fools. Because wisdom in the Bible is, above all, moral and practical. It's bound up with knowing the right way to live in God's world. The wise person is not necessarily highly educated. For some, indeed, a great education can be an obstacle to wisdom. That they think they're wise because they're well educated. The Bible won't have any of that. The educated person, the intellectual, in fact, can be a fool in biblical terminology. We're dealing with something that is basically spiritual. So we need to keep that in mind uh, as we look at what James has to say about the two kinds of wisdom. And to ask ourselves, who is wise and understanding among us? Two kinds of wisdom. First of all, their sources. Where do they come from? Well, on the one hand, we have the wisdom that comes from above, or NIV has it, comes uh, from heaven. There's wisdom that has its source in God himself. 
And we can link that with what James wrote right back at the beginning of the letter, chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. So we've been told early on, wisdom is something that comes from God. And so now here, James is speaking about the wisdom that comes from above, from heaven, from God. The wisdom that we ought to be desiring and seeking is to be found in God. It has a supernatural source outside this world, outside this creation. The the wisdom that we are to desire has its source in God. And so no one can be truly wise unless he's in a proper relationship with the Lord. That is a vital truth for us to grasp. You will never be wise until you are in a right relationship with God. No amount of learning, of study, of reading, of education can substitute for knowing and loving the Lord. They're not minimizing the value of learning, of education, and so on. Far from it. But you will not be wise unless you know the Lord. Unless he is the center of your life. Psalm 111 and verse 10 reinforces the point that James is making. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Honoring him, respecting him, submitting to him. That's the beginning of wisdom. It's not how many exams you've passed, important though that may be. And those who are sitting exams at the moment are not to go away and think, ah, they don't matter. They do. And your mum and dad will make sure you remember that. But the beginning of wisdom is knowing the Lord, the fear of the Lord. So only the person who is born again by the Holy Spirit can be wise in God's estimation. To be wise, you need a heart that has been changed by the grace of God. In a sense, we think wisdom is up here. The Bible says wisdom's in here. It's a bonus if you've got it up there as well, but wisdom is a matter of the heart, a changed heart that knows and loves the Lord. And that's underlined really by uh, James's description of the other kind of wisdom. And as we have seen, James doesn't mince his words. He doesn't pussyfoot around on these matters. He calls it as it is. What is the other kind uh, of wisdom? Well, he says, it's earthly. It's earthly. It doesn't come down from heaven. It's earthly. It's from this world with its values and its philosophies and its religions. That's as high as it can go. It's from this world. It is earthly. A world that's twisted by sin. And that includes the the thinking and the intellectual 
efforts of people. They're clouded by sin. And so their wisdom is just of this world, a world that can't show you how you should be living. Of course, you think of people, as we hear of them, who are highly educated and whose lives are a mess. It's earthly wisdom. It can't show them how they should be living. It's unspiritual, James says. What does he mean by that? He's not saying it has nothing to do with spiritual issues. It's unspiritual in the sense it has nothing of the Holy Spirit's influence. Their hearts are closed to the Holy Spirit. They have no taste for the things of God. They have no interest And their wisdom at best is unspiritual. It's been developed purely by the minds of human beings in their sin and their lostness. Of course, that's part of the foolishness of those who buy into the whole humanist perspective. Because they're saying we ought to trust the best thoughts of a highly evolved ape. Because that's what they believe human beings are. And so this is the source of wisdom, apparently. It is unspiritual. It's all that this fallen world can provide. Listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. He says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Of course, we know that. You know that when you talk to people who aren't Christians. And they look at our values. They look at our beliefs. And they think that is nonsense. They think we're the fools. God knows they're the fools. And James delivers the final crushing blow. It's earthly, it is unspiritual. He says it is of the devil. Perhaps again, we we think as we may have thought before, is that not a bit strong? Uh, Where where James previously had talked about the the, the tongue being set on fire by hell. We think that's a bit much, is it not? Uh, And this wisdom of the word, it's of the devil. And yet the Bible spells out for us. If our thinking is not guided by God's wisdom, it is guided by the devil's wisdom. There are the two possibilities. There are the two ways, as we sing about in Psalm 1. There aren't three or four or five in the end. There are two. And if our wisdom is not the wisdom from God, it is the wisdom of the devil. And we're not just thinking of those who are engaged perhaps in flagrant sins that everybody would point to and say, there's a, there's a bad person. Maybe the very respectable sins of materialism, of spiritual indifference, of living for yourself. It's the devil's wisdom. So the sources of the two kinds of wisdom are quite clear. Either it comes from God and is a matter of the heart transformed by grace or it's from the devil. And it rises no higher than this present world can offer. Their sources. 
But as we continue to think of the two kinds of wisdom, we think, secondly, of their characteristics. Their characteristics. What do they look like? Well, first of all, worldly wisdom. And James gives us a grim picture. Characterized, he says, by bitter envy and selfish ambition. And he traces it to the root that's in your hearts, he says. And that produces the corrupt fruit. It's a description of the person who's concerned only with self. Self-interest. Aiming for the benefit of themselves, their own group. Maybe a small group, maybe a big group, but it never goes beyond that. And a spirit. We have to recognize that does creep into the church. Think of the party spirit that there was in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. All divided. All set against each other. And in the end, really, all focused on themselves. And that was a manifestation of this kind of unspiritual Wisdom. It's a spirit that wants to be better than others, that can't bear to see others blessed in their work for the Lord. And we find it, we find it for honest, even among pastors. And we look at those who appear to be flourishing and successful, and what do we do sometimes? We try to find something wrong with what they're doing. That means we can dismiss it. We are sound, so we are unsuccessful. You come across that mindset? We are sound, so we are small. If we were big, we must be compromising. Trying to cut down others in the silly belief that somehow that lifts us up. And you find it among Christians. Seeing others as rivals and threats rather than as brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's worldly wisdom. But what about godly wisdom? What ought to characterize the Lord's people? And the contrast is as great as you could imagine. And James describes it particularly in terms of the kind of person that godly wisdom produces. It's not a matter of intellectual achievement or what, first of all, we do. It's first of all a matter of the kind of people we are. Living in dependence on the Lord, well, above all, would be pure. A whole life that's shaped in the likeness of Christ. We know on this side of heaven will not be perfect, but we are being shaped more and more in the likeness of the Lord Jesus. James highlights several areas, particularly where this godly uh, wisdom is seen. First, in attitude. In attitude. It's peaceable, he says. It's not the cause of of strife and division. The wise person is someone who's self-controlled. Remember the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5? An aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. At peace with God, at peace with with yourself, and then working for peace with others, healing force among God's people. Peaceable, considerate, he says. 
Again, part of our our attitude, fair and gentle, that would be really the the, the significance of the word. Uh, Philippians 2.3 catches it, I think, well. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Of course, the sinful temptation is to try and think of ourselves as better than others. But it's the opposite of what we've talked about, the self-centeredness of worldly wisdom, looking out for the interests of others, not demanding our rights. Isn't that so counter to the culture we're living in that, that encourages us to seek our rights and demand them at whatever cost to others? Peaceable, considerate, Submissive, James says, able to accept advice or correction. We sang about that in Psalm 141 and verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. As our natural sinful inclination is, let a righteous man strike me and I'll strike him back. Preferably harder. Submissive to correction. Because we're submissive to the word of God. And that's godly wisdom. To learn from others. To profit from them. So attitude. Yes, it's peaceable, considerate, submissive. Attitude and then action. That's the next specific area that characterizes godly wisdom. Action. Full of mercy and good fruit reaches out to those in need. Again, you see how different it is from being self-centered. It's centered on the benefit of others. What are their needs? How can I minister to them? Physical needs, spiritual needs, both are important. Because godly wisdom realizes that whatever we have is held in stewardship, in trust from God. In the end, it's not ours, it's God's, and it's to be used for God's glory. That's a mark of godly wisdom. And it will uh, seek forgiveness of offenses. It will uh, seek to honor the Lord as he has forgiven us, so we have a forgiving spirit to others. Full of these things, full of the good works. Not just a little here and there, but characterizing the whole life of a godly, wise person. Someone who is full of mercy and good fruit. Someone who responds from the heart when he sees need. And we talk about compassion fatigue, don't we? There's so many needs bombarding us, and the temptation is just to harden ourselves against all need. But the godly wise person is someone who is full of mercy, good fruit, who is a healthy influence on those around them and ministers to them and shows the love of Christ to them. Ultimately, who was more full of mercy and good fruit than the Lord Jesus Christ? And so we're reflecting him We're showing the world what he looks like. And as the world looks 
at God's people, at those who should be godly wise people, they should be seeing something of the Savior. Our attitudes, our actions, and our judgments, the third area of the characteristics of godly wisdom, our judgments, impartial, listening to all sides, open-minded. Of course, you know often, of course, Christians are accused of being very closed-minded. There's a sense in which we have to be closed-minded, closed to error, closed to ungodliness. But those who are listeners, those who are, this is part, of, of course, of being peaceable, those who are conciliators, we need to be wise, impartial, sincere as well, uh, James says. Knowing where we stand with others and being those that people know where they stand. In all of these areas, in our attitudes, in our actions, in our judgments, we are to be wise. We are to be reflecting the Lord Jesus We're to be showing the world what does Christ look like? What does he sound like? Wisdom that's not simply a matter of the intellect of storing up information. Sometimes Christians can mistake that for wisdom. They've read a lot of books. They maybe study the Bible a lot. And they conclude, well, I must therefore be wise, but... Is it translated into action? A good life, James says, in verse 13. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. A Christ-like life that is not concerned about the praise of people, but that's concerned about the approval of God. And this is what will flow from a life in fellowship with God. This is what it will look like. Godly wisdom centered in God in contrast to the worldly wisdom that's centered on self and that's concerned only with self. Two kinds of wisdom. Their sources. One comes from heaven, from God. And that requires a heart changed by grace. You need to be saved to be wise. It's as simple as that. If you're not saved, you'll never be wise. And the worldly wisdom that comes purely from this world, and in the end, as James says, from the devil. Their sources, their characteristics, the worldly wisdom. It's characterized by self-centeredness and an inward focus and the godly wisdom. And its attitudes, its actions, its judgment, reflecting Christ, showing the world what he is like. And then thirdly, as we think of the two kinds of wisdom, their results. Their results. James spells it out uh, for us as he concludes this chapter. Of course, James didn't write in chapters, as you know. These are later 
additions, but as he ends the chapter, as we have it. Their results. Verse 16. The results of worldly wisdom. And it's not a pretty picture. Disorder and every evil practice. The envy and the selfish ambition that he talks about disrupt relationships. They cause divisions and quarrels. They set one against another. That's the wisdom of the world. Profoundly divisive and self-centered. And of course, if a Christian allows himself to be influenced by worldly wisdom and centering on self Inevitably, his love for the Lord will cool. It'll not be what it was or what it should be, as well as love for his neighbor. Resistance to temptation will weaken. Our spiritual temperature will, will decline. It will sink. You can see something of the, the harmful effects of this worldly wisdom in Miriam in the Old Testament. Somebody maybe we we rarely think much about. But in Numbers 12, we are told how she envied Moses. Moses was the leader. And he was envied by Miriam, focused again on herself. And forfeited blessing and usefulness because of it. And worldly wisdom and self-centeredness damages fellowship among God's people. Think of Corinth. Corinth, as a congregation in many respects, was a mess. We live according to the devil's wisdom. We're opening the door to all kinds of ungodliness. But again, what a contrast. Verse 18. The result of godly wisdom. If we focus on peace and righteousness, then the world will see Christ and something of his beauty. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. There are different ways to translate that verse, but the basic meaning is clear. The godly wise persons characterized by peace and righteousness. A climate of peace among the wise people of God. Righteousness will grow. Christ-like character will be encouraged. It'll be a healthy place for Christians to be. It'll nourish them. It will strengthen them. It will help them to be more Christ-like. Godly character will flourish. God's people will enjoy the blessings that he has for them. There will be no obstacles to blessing. They'll have peace in their own lives. They'll be agents of peacemaking and righteousness. Christ-like character will flourish. That's the kind of man James himself was. If you go to the book of Acts, turn up Acts 15, the Council of Jerusalem. Situation of potential division in the church, Jews and Gentiles. Uh, do Gentiles have to become Jews before they can become Christians? Could have blown the church apart. And one of the leaders who was crucial in bringing all of them together and establishing godly peace was James. 
You can read about what he said and what he contributed to that church gathering in Acts 15. James isn't writing in theory. He was a peacemaker, a unifier. And in that environment of godly wisdom, as we're pursuing it, we want more of it, we long for it. Then we'll be experiencing life as God made us to live it. We'll be fulfilling our calling as Christians. Godly, wise people. You know very well you turn on your television or you open up your computer. Do people still listen to the radio? There must be some. You might even read a newspaper. And what do you hear? What do you see? The thinking of the world. It is self-centered, that rises no higher than this world and its values and its attitudes. And you see how that twists human lives and how destructive it is. And sure that stirs us to long for more godly wisdom. To long to be more Christ-like in how we think and how we act. How tragic with all the privileges we have and all the opportunities we have, if God should look at us and say, you fool, because we swapped godly wisdom for the thinking of the world and its supposed wisdom. May God in grace make us wise people, People who know him and love him. People who are being shaped by the Holy Spirit to think and act and view everything in life from God's perspective. A place where we will enjoy his blessing and his abundance.